Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. There has to be something about your life that makes them want to ask. It's the peculiarity. There's something peculiar about you, something different about you. What is it? Because I want it. Because I'm looking at you and you're not freaking out. You're not, you know, everybody else is. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Song of Songs. Can you name those things that cause others to ask questions about your life? Others see the difference in you when you spend time with Jesus, as Pastor J.D. tells us in his message today. There's a story in the Bible about a woman being asked questions. This record shows the intensity with which she longs for her husband. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Song of Songs, Chapter 5, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Jesus would connect those scriptural dots as the fulfillment of those prophecies. But interesting, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when he refers to this place that he's preparing, he doesn't connect it to a prior prophecy. He doesn't say, he doesn't attach to it that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Why is that? Because he's introducing the rapture of the church. That's not to say that, and we've seen this in the types and the shadows, that the rapture is not in the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, is it? And we saw that with Joseph, I mean big time. But what he was saying was, he was introducing to them the rapture as a bridegroom to his bride. And he would go on then to expound on that, and they're trying to wrap their minds around that. Wait, 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 I don't remember this. <laughs> go to prepare a place. In my, what scripture does that fulfill? Oh, no, I'm introducing this to you now. This is the rapture. And it should put to rest once and for all, all of the questions about where did Jesus ever talk about the rapture, replete throughout the Gospels. Jesus is speaking as a bridegroom to his bride concerning what we know as the rapture. And by the way, the word rapture is a transliteration from the Latin Vulgate, rapturos or raptro. In the Greek, it's harpazo. And we translate it in the English, caught up. I prefer rapture more than harpazo. Doesn't harpazo kind of sound like a, like a garbanzo bean? I'll have a side. I'm sorry, but no, it does. Like garbanzo. I'll take a side of garbanzo beans and I'll take some of those harpazo beans over there. But rapture sounds like, like it sounds. Rapture. Like fast. And it's going to be very fast. I am of the belief that God not only never faults anyone for longing for the rapture, watching for the rapture, looking for the Lord's return, excited about the Lord's return, 
I think it's the opposite that's true. Not only does He not hold it against us, as it were, He actually is going to reward us because of it. Well, I could go on. You know I could. I won't. Verse 9, my favorite topic is the rapture. So anytime I get a chance to talk about that, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take advantage and seize that opportunity. <laughs> Verse 9, it's the hope, right? It's the, not only is it the blessed hope, Paul writing to Titus, it's our only hope, right? I know I've said this many times, and again, I, I'll never tire of saying it. I hope you don't tire of me saying it. But Okay, this will be the last thing I'll say about the rapture, and then we'll move on to verse 9. We, we were so close to verse 9. Not quite, just hang on. I, and I mean this, this is not hyperbole, and the Lord knows my heart when I say this. If it were not for the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, it's not a theory, it's a sound doctrine. It's a sound doctrine if it weren't for the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, I honestly do not believe that I would still have my sanity. And again, that is not hyperbole. Because as I look and I see, and you know, Solomon, we saw this in Ecclesiastes, writes about how that with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Have you ever thought about it like that? As Christians, we know more than the non-Christians and what comes packaged with that knowledge of the end and what's coming upon the world. What comes packaged with that is much sorrow. We, we, we say it in the secular sense, ignorance is bliss. There are some times where I just wish, even in my studies and research and my preparation for the prophecy updates, there are some things that I just wish I did not learn about what's going on. I mean, it is so evil. There is an evil plot to destroy mankind. And it comes from Satan himself, who has sought from the very beginning. Jesus says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that has been his sole goal from the beginning of human history, is to destroy mankind. And so there is this evil plot afoot, and especially in these last days, really the last moments, the last hour, he's sort of revving it up, ramping it up, if you will. And were it not for Again, the sound doctrine of the rapture. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. But see, knowing that that trumpet could sound at any time, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, our pazzo beans and uh, <laughs> raptors, <laughs> to meet the Lord in the air. That settles me. That's my anchor. That settles me. That calms me. It's like, okay, all right. All right. That, that's our 
great escape. You know when, and this gets people messed up, and okay, this will be the last, last thing on the rapture. (laughs) You know when Jesus said, you know, uh, pray that you're worthy to escape. A lot of people get all messed up, and and unnecessarily so. And I, I don't mean to be mean, I just want to say this lovingly. What is it that you don't understand about that? Jesus is not saying that we have to earn the right to go up in the rapture, to be deemed worthy to be to, to escape in the rapture. What he's saying is, pray that you're found worthy. Who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. So when he says, pray that you may be found worthy, not in your own worthiness, not in your own righteousness that Isaiah says is as filthy rags. And by the way, it's pretty graphic in the original language. I'll just leave it there. And the, the symbolism of it, when you understand it as a minstrel cloth that represents death, that was an egg that was not fertilized. That's what that means. In other words, that's what your righteousness is. It's death. The wages of sin is death. Your righteousness is worthless. Your own righteousness. It's His imputed righteousness. That's what makes you worthy. So when Jesus says, pray that you're worthy, in other words, you need to be in Christ and His righteousness imputed to you. And then you stand before Him, not in your own righteousness, you will not be worthy. You stand before Him in His righteousness, and you are worthy, and you will escape. Keyword escape. Don't get hung up on worthy. We we resolve that, right? Can we close that file? Let's talk about the escape file. I like that word a lot. It's kind of interesting because those who take us to task concerning the sound doctrine of the pre-trib will say, well, you, you just want to escape. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, it is the escape. The rapture is the escape. We will escape that which is coming upon this Christ-rejecting world. Okay. You good? We're good, right? You should be asking me that. Are you good? I'm fine now. Thank you very much. Verse 9. I feel better now. So now she asks the daughters of Jerusalem, if you see my beloved, tell him I'm lovesick. I'm longing for him. And here's their response, verse 9. What is your beloved more than any other beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than any other beloved that you so charge us? In other words, what in the world? Who is this guy? I mean, look at you. You look terrible. You're lovesick and you're sick. You can't eat. You have no appetite. You obviously can't sleep. Here you are. So what is it about him that makes you this way? Oh. I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Is this not how it is for us? When people ask us, man, what is up with you? And, And really what they're asking is, what is it about Jesus 
that makes you like that? Because I knew you before. You know, when you first got saved, all your friends were like, what happened? <laughs> What's wrong with you? That's, you're not you. I know. I just, I, I'm born again. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I loved you. You know, when I first got saved, I had no theology. I had no vocabulary because of all the brain cells I killed. I'm not proud of that. But I mean, basically, this is, this is how I witness to people. Jesus is real. Jesus is really real. Jesus is real. Do you want to know Jesus? He's so real. He just, that was it. That's all I could talk about, all I could think about. And so this is what they're doing. They're asking her about her relationship with and her faith in and her love for the Lord. You're smitten, man. Something's happened to you. You've changed. And what an opportunity, right, for us to give an answer to everyone who asks of that hope that lies within us. By the way, it, there's a practical application and principle here. I, I don't think I should just um, move on from. Stay with me. They need to ask. What do I mean? I think we, you know, the Lord knows our heart, but we can be so obnoxious for Christ. And we just, you know, we, we accost people, and we bombard people, and we, you know, I did it. I mean, people would see me coming, they would go the other way. Oh, no, not him again. I was obnoxious for Christ. <laughs> and I was answering questions they weren't asking. Isn't it more better <laughs> that they ask? Because when they ask, that's an open door. And then you give the answer. But here's the thing. There has to be something about your life that makes them want to ask. It's the peculiarity. There's something peculiar about you, something different about you. What is it? Because I want it. Because I'm looking at you, and you're not freaking out. You're not, you know, everybody else is. Man, there's just something different about you. And they ask, and then you give them the answer. And that's exactly what she's going to do, beginning in verse 10 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to go through this quickly. But as I do, I want to draw upon the allegory, because she's going to describe her beloved. And woven into the fabric of that description in her answer is an apt description of who Jesus is. So let's go through this. My beloved, verse 10, is white. That speaks to purity and perfection without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, sinless, sinless. And ruddy, that speaks to power and might. He's all-powerful. Chief among ten thousand, he rules and reigns, ten thousands by his side. 
Verse 11, his head is like the finest gold. Gold speaks of divinity. He was fully God, fully man. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. I inquired of the Lord about this, wasn't quite sure, and this is just I guess, for lack of a better word, conjecture on my part, but I'll just suggest it anyway. I think this speaks to his victory over death. He defeated the grave. He rose again from the dead. Verse 12, his eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. This is Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Verse 13, his cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. What comes out of his lips? What comes out of his mouth? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I think this speaks to the words of Christ. Verse 14, His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars, the famous cedars of Lebanon, my birthplace of Beirut, Lebanon, known for these massive cedar trees. This, of course, speaks to his strength. I can do all things, Philippians 4.13, through Christ who strengthens me. And in this last verse, his mouth is most sweet. Hang on to that. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. And This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Wow. This last verse says it all, doesn't it? This is who Jesus is, and this is how Jesus is. He's a friend of sinners. What about his mouth being so sweet, most sweet? Ah can't think of a better way to end the Bible study than this. I need to point out something here. Notice what's conspicuously absent from all of this. There's not one mention of him having so much as a harsh word towards her. No, from his mouth There's no harshness, only sweetness. Maybe this has personal application to the marriage relationship. No, maybe it does. Guys, we need to talk. Wives, give us a moment. (laughs) The only words that should ever come out of our mouth to our wives should be words of sweetness. If it's words of harshness, they will wither. And to have harshness instead of sweetness 
you do so to your own peril. You're the one who pays the cost and the price in the end. You know, your wife is a delicate flower. The best analogy I ever heard was that of the buffalo and the butterfly. Stay with me. You got a buffalo over here. Buffalo, right? You know what a buffalo is, right? Big, ugly thing. Then you got this, oh, this small, beautiful butterfly over here. What a contrast, right? Now you're going to take a pebble, and you're going to put it on the back of that buffalo. <clears throat> doesn't even know it's there. Rolls off its back. Take that same pebble, put it on the wing of that butterfly. You crush it. You kill it. That's what words of harshness are like. You know, guys, we're so insensitive. You know, our wives are so delicate and, and sensitive, and we could be so inconsiderate, so insensitive, so unloving. And it doesn't take much. Take it from me. <laughs> I got the scars to prove it. What, what a jerk I was early on. Not now, of course. We have a perfect marriage uh, now. But early on in our marriage, man, I was such a jerk. Things I would say to her. I mean, not, you know, not bad in the sense of, you know, foul or vile, just cutting things. You know, pious, in my piety and my spiritual pride and, you know, woman. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. But just a a word that is not fitly spoken can do so much damage to her. And isn't it true, guys, that wives, I mean, they've got photographic memory when it comes to those things. I mean, they'll bring up things from 30 years ago. You had long forgotten. She said, you remember that time when, <laughs> how did you, what, why do you keep bringing that up? Because they carry things longer and harder. And they'll remind you. They don't just get hysterical, they get historical. <laughs> I mean, they bring up things from the pages of history that you've long forgotten. What does that tell you? That hurt them. You hurt them. Oh, well, they've forgiven you, but the scars remain. The scars remain. Jesus is the perfect example of this. Never a harsh word, only sweetness from His lips. We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you haven't yet found a church home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family can be a source of support, comfort, and most importantly, faithful prayer warriors. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join our church family. At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we meet on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings, as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there. 
This is a great tool to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. Again, that website is inspiritandtruthradio.com. And specifically from today's message, Song of Songs is a book that many tend to shy away from. But when you read it through the right lens, it's a beautiful love story. God created love as something pure and something to be enjoyed. Relationships are gifts from God. As we continue to study Song of Songs with Pastor J.D., we hope you've been encouraged to view relationships in a new way. And not just earthly relationships, but your relationship with Jesus. The Bible is full of beautiful stories that can be applied to your life, so keep diving in. Well, that's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us next time for more from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth.